Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. But it is good to be with you. We are starting a brand new sermon series called Identified. Identified. And uh, I want to kind of give you a little bit of background of where this whole thing comes from, this idea of being identified. And so I'm not one, a preacher, you know, one to talk about the world, right? Like, so we're here, I'm not gonna get my soapbox out, stand on it, yell, yell at people. I'm tall enough, I don't have to overcompensate with the soapbox. And so, uh, and you know, I'm talking about street corner guys, get on it, yell at people. Like, I've just never been that type of, of pastor where you, we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about people that aren't here, acting like, you know, sinners or lost people. Like, when lost people act like lost people, you know, that, to me, that's, that makes sense. My problem is always when Christians act like the world. Like, that's, you come to church, you should be different. Your life should be changing. It should look different. And so I'm always concerned with that. I want my church to be a reflection of the grace and the goodness of God, the power of God to change somebody's life forever. But I want you to know kind of where this whole idea came from. So you know we live in a world that is, is changing. You, you know that. And there, you, years ago, there was something called a fight for absolute truth. And so you don't even hear it anymore because it's been established that there is none. And so when you don't have absolute truth, you are left up to yourself, the creation, to define themselves. And anytime you allow somebody to define themselves, you end up in trouble. And so you know if you live in our world, there's, you know, we're called to identify ourselves now. And like, so I'll go to the doctor, fill out things. What do you identify as? What's your, what's your, your what, what gender are you? What, you know, you pick. What, what, what's your pronouns? You, you decide. They, them, you know, us. What, what are you? And so uh, what's your sexuality? What's your age? That's not here yet, but I'm just going to let you know. I'm not a prophet, but I'm just telling you. If you can pick all those things, you can pick your age. I'm 21. I'm just letting you know. I'm 21. Don't judge me. I'm 21. You know, I'm woke. And so I'm 21. And uh, uh, you can pick your age. Uh, well, the reason I was, uh, I was hit with this, I already knew this was all this was going on. I'm not here to, to, make, to make fun of people. But uh, I did read this article that I thought was interesting. And so the article was about one woke person being attacked by other woken people, which I think is always the reaction in, in culture, like uh, and when you're moving the bar constantly and nobody knows where it ends. But this, this blogger named Oil London, not sure if that's their, their real name or not, uh, but Oil London was from England and uh, was blogging and, you know, in the, in, the, in, the, in the article it talks about how, you know, he, his pronouns are, are they and so every time it talks about him, it's talking about they in the article and so I'm trying to keep up. But in what the whole article was about is he had went through some kind of surgery where not only was he establishing who, what his identity was, his gender, his sexuality, his pronouns, but he had also decided through this surgery that no longer was he going to be English, he was now Korean. Which, whatever, uh, I guess you can decide that, but people were freaking out on him. And I just, I was just like, some of it was like, this is like the natural thing, and I'm kind of excited about it, because the world is literally going to get so confused that they're going to end up back at church, and you're going to be like, okay, we're back here, could have been back here 30 years ago, but whatever. And so, uh, and that's kind of how it works, I can already see, see that happening, but I started thinking about the implications of that 
in, in church because oftentimes, because of the world we live in, we, we tend to think like everybody else thinks, just the way that it is. You hang out with people, you think like them. So we tend to begin to bring that understanding of being able to identify and classify and say what you are even into church. And so we started doing that with, 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 the, with religion in church. Like I, I can tell everybody what I am. My life might not be any different, uh, but I go to church on Sunday. I have the, the fish on my car. I got the sticker on my mug. I got the t-shirt. I, I, I'm a part of a home group. So obviously, what am I? I'm a Christian. And here's the problem. What I, when I read the Bible, what I noticed about scripture is though the world likes to say what they are, and that be set in stone. When it comes to Christians, others should see what you are. Do you see the difference? It's not a saying thing. I gotta tell everybody I'm a Christian. I gotta tell everybody what my religion is. I gotta tell them with my, my car, and I gotta tell them with this. Other people should see that your life is different. So this entire message series is really, really simple. If I was to ask you, what are other people as a Christian identify you as? How have you been identified? What would they say? What would they say about your life? What would your neighbors say about you? Oh, it's caught me kept running, running around the house chasing my kid the other day. Uh, I yell a lot in the house. What would they say about you? What, what would your coworkers say about you? What would they say? How do you handle when, when being overlooked? How graceful are you? Do you look like Jesus at work or do you act like everybody else? How about that person that rode with you in the car this, this last week? How would they identify you? How about your family? What would you be identified as? And here's what's so interesting in the Bible. You would think that the term Christian was invented by Jesus. Anybody would think, like, so Jesus started this religion. He was like, okay, we need a good name. We have this committee. We have these boxes. You put things in. And we landed on calling ourselves Christians, and Jesus voted on it, okayed it, hit the gavel on the thing, and we're good. But that's not even where the name came from. In fact, even the first church people, when Jesus started the church, they didn't call themselves Christians. That wasn't what they started. They were like, okay, we need a catchy name everywhere we go. We're going to announce to people we are the Christian church. I want to show you something that's interesting. The very first people to call people Christians were not the people inside the church. Let me show you what I mean. Acts chapter 11. Uh, we're going to catch up in, in, this, in this book. I love this book. And the reason I love Acts is because Acts is the uh, actions of the apostles. That's literally what it means. And so Jesus comes, dies on the cross, comes back from the dead, goes to heaven, gives his, his people, his, his church, some marching orders, and they move. And what happens in the book of Acts is what happens next. Here's, here's how the church spreads. Here's where they go. Here's where it's persecuted. Oh, yeah, God decides he's going to use a murderer to be the number one missionary. Like, I couldn't find anybody better for that. Like, this is whole kind of situation playing out. I love the book of Acts. But by the 11th chapter of the book of Acts, the church had, had expanded. And so one of the things that Jesus says early on, go everywhere, tell everyone about me. How many of you know that Jesus asked you to do things that most of the time you're not comfortable with? How many of you know most of us, especially in America, we want a lighter version of what Jesus said? You want me to give 10%? I'm going to maybe like 3, 3%, right? You want me to serve, you know, maybe you want me to come to church, maybe once a month, right? Like, you want me to deal with sin? Like, what sins should I deal with? Like, can I get the lighter version of Christ Christianity? How far can I go without crossing the line? This isn't a new problem. Church been doing this forever. That's why sometimes older, older folks would be like, we just need to get back to the church of Acts. And I'm like, no, we don't. 
That was the most jacked up church in the history of the world, right? Like, I'm not trying to get back there because I think we're improved, but we can learn from them. And one of the things they did is they loved comfort. And so when Jesus said, go everywhere and tell everyone about me, they decided let's just stay local where we like the people, we know the culture, we can relate easy, you know, we know the language, we can share Jesus and make it practical. Let's not go to the people that make us uncomfortable. Any other Christians like that? This is how we get everywhere. Let me, let me stay home. Let me get in a bubble. Let me join a group. Let me, you know, instead of going to Christians to play in the normal sports leagues, we'll have church leagues, right? And we'll just hang out with church people. They make us more comfortable, and they're not as good. And so, like, let's do it, right? We'll, we'll do that, right? And so, like, let's not, let's not be incarnational like Jesus was. I know Jesus came to the earth, but we're supposed to go to a building, right? That looks like Jesus. And so this is what the church did. And so what God did is God allowed persecution to break out so that they would go do what he called them to do. Because oftentimes, even when you push against God, God will figure out a way to get you to do what he wants you to do. So let's persecution break out. This dude named Stephen gets stoned, and the church scatters. We find out what happens in Acts chapter 11. He says, now those who have been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word among the Jews. So they, even though they leave Jerusalem, they're still only going to talk to people they like. But the Bible says, some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about Jesus. Some of them went to people outside of the church, right? Then the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the grace of God had done wonderful things. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord. The Bible describes him as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people, because of the ministry of Barnabas, came, came to faith in the Lord. The Bible says, then Barnabas sent to, went to Tarsus and got Saul. And he found him and brought him back to Antioch. So for a whole year, him and Saul, they met with the church and taught a great number of people. And I want you to know something interesting in the city of Antioch. By the way, the city of Antioch is like New York City. They once described it, theologian, as the world all in one place. So basically... If you could think of a nationality, a race, a religion, it was there. It's like New York City. The, the city would have been set up kind of in a circle with the wall around it, very common to cities of that time. And the, the houses would have kind of been around the border of the, of the city. And then the central part of the city was the mall, the, 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 the town square, the, 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 the marketplace, places where people would trade things. And so the city was very diverse, and they had names. But one of the things that, that was interesting about the city is it was very segregated at that point. So you, you might have done business with different people, but at the end when you would go hang out and you would spend time, you would spend time with, with, with your people, your Irish people, your Italian people. You would spend time with your, your people, your Polish people. You know, kind of even like Phoenixville was set up a few, few, you know, 50, 60 years ago. You would spend time with your people but then Barnabas shows up and begins to share about Jesus with Paul and the Bible says people from all nationalities begin to become part of this movement and did you notice what happened it's not like Paul or Barnabas said oh yeah we're supposed to call ourselves something let's call ourselves Christians did you notice what it said it said there for the very first time they were referred to as Christians what it's implying is the people in the city could not figure out a name for these people they saw their actions they saw how much they loved. They saw how they welcomed everybody into this group. They saw how they shared possessions because that's what happened in the beginning of the, of the work. They saw how they were all sacrificial and putting in their money to reach more people. And they said, man, this looks like Jesus. This doesn't look like anything we've ever seen before. And so we're going to identify them as Christians. That's why the question is so significant. I'm not worried about what your friends call you. I'm not worried about how successful you are inside this church. 
I'm not worried about how impressive that I am or you are in here. What I'm thinking about is when I leave these four walls and I go back into my normal everyday life, how are people able to identify me? What do they see in my life? When I treat them a certain way, what do they come away saying about who that I am because it's significant in your life? You see, the truth is some of us don't get this, but there's three calls in every Christian's life. First call, salvation. You, you, you know about that if you have a relationship with Jesus. He comes, he knocks at the door of your heart. He says, I want in, man. You're broke. Your life's a mess. You've, you've, you've tried every relationship you can try. Success. You're, you're, man, you're addicted. Let me come in and change your life. And all of us that are Christians at one point said, I'm doing a bad job of being the boss of my life. You can be the boss. And we let him in. That's salvation. The second call is consecration. This one's important, but a lot of people miss this one. And consecration is when you give the Holy Spirit permission to set you apart, to make you different. You, you should be different. But here's the thing about it. I didn't say you should be weird. Come on, you know church people, we are experts in weird. He, he, didn't, he didn't call you to make you weird. He's going to make you look different. Your life is going to be different than everybody else's. But he didn't call you to be weird. That's the second call, uh, consecration. The third call is for you to become a witness. So God wants to do something in you. Then he wants to do something through you. And most people I know, Christians I know, they don't have any idea of how to become a good witness in their life. They don't have any idea why so many people see them and go, I don't want that. I'll pass. You go to church, you want to come to church with me? Absolutely not. Why? Because I've seen the way you talk to your coworker. Why would I go spend an hour in a weird building with a bunch of weird people when I get my fill of you, weirdo? Hey, you want to come to my church? You go get waited on by somebody. You want to come to my church and you give them a, 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 a card. And you're like, oh, they're going to come. They're never going to come. Because that card you gave them has a little uh, dollar bill in the front of it. And they thought it was real money, but it wasn't. It was a track and you didn't leave them a good tip. They're not going to come because they saw your, 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 your stingy lack of generosity in that moment. They're like, I don't want any part of, of that. Students going to school, you're like, you should serve Jesus. And other students are like, okay. You're mean and weird and filled with drama. You go to the pole to pray, but the rest of the year, you're crazy. You've never been to see at the pole. Go, right? And so, like, it's just whole, whole movement. And we're like, why doesn't it matter? And I just think, it, I, here's what I know. If we were better at this, here, here, here's what I know. If we were better at becoming witnesses and other people being able to see Christ, the church buildings that we have wouldn't be able to hold all the people that were coming to Jesus. The, prob the problem's not the message. The problem is the workers. That's what the Bible says. So I want to teach you this because this is significant because oftentimes we come at changing the world from the wrong, from the wrong perspective and the wrong you know, beginning starting ground and, and we totally miss the mark. And, and I think for me and I hope for you, at the end of your life, I want my life to matter. And here's the thing about it. None of this does. None, this is not... this. At the end of my life, when I've done this, this is my realization, you do something different, I'm going to give the keys to some young whippersnapper, and I'm going to walk away. And this is not going to be, it, this can't be the most significant thing about my life. The most significant thing about my life happens outside of these doors. 
So I want to show, show you this. It, what I call this message is witness protection. I couldn't think of another name, and I thought it was creative. And the Bible says this in Acts 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, he says. You will go and tell people about me. In other words, you personally make a decision to follow Christ, and then you agree to publicly put your life on the line. It's not a personal thing. I'm going to publicly live my life for Jesus Christ. Let me just give you a few thoughts that I think are important. Number one, witness protection. You need to remember this. A witness for Christ engaged in everyday life has a far greater impact on this world than a talented preacher or performer or whatever you want to say in passion on a stage ever will. I'm going to tell you when I found this out because here's how God works. People reaching people. Did you know that? People reaching people. That is always how the Lord works. He sends people into the, into the world, and people reach people. And I had this realization years and years ago. It was 2009, and uh, our church was new, and it was just starting to, 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 to grow. And we had this season in our church where we grew from 300 to 400 people in about a month and a half. And I remember it like it was yesterday because we added a service, and we had a third, our third service was the wild service. And so if you ever want to be part of the wild service, come to 1145 service. People are crazy, right? And so... And we had this service. It was, it was, it was, it was 11 o'clock or something like that. And in our, our, our auditorium, there was about 150 seats. There was a middle section like this, and then on each side, there was five or four rows uh, of, of chairs, or four, four in the aisle of 10 rows, so 40 chairs, something like that. And uh, I remember third service, this, 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 this section started filling up with people that you could tell did not come from church. You know what I'm talking about? And so I could just tell, and it was amazing, and they started coming. And as a 28, 29, 30-year-old, you know what I started doing? I must be killing it in preaching. <laughs> killing it. Like, these people are coming. They're, they're, they're every week more and more coming. They were coming so much, they started to take over that whole section, and they started to come into the middle section, the church people section. It was wild, right? And you could just see people. They were just kind of taking over. And I was just thinking to myself, they're probably coming because of this sermon series that I'm preaching and because the points that I'm saying. And man, I must be killing it because we're growing so fast. And I, I even, I told, I told the church, I said, I had, I, at that point, I had, I had a, book, a book deal I was working on. Like, not really, but in my head, I was like, I'm going to write a book on church growth and preaching and all this other stuff. And I remember one day, you ever have a moment in your life where God says, you are an absolute idiot. It happens all the time to me. And so I asked one somebody after church. I saw him there. I was like, hey, I, I was like, hey, you become a church for a few weeks. I was like, I was like, you know, one of those leading questions. I was like, why are you coming? I come because of me, right? And like, I, you know, I was waiting for them to say something about my preaching. And they said, actually, they said, they brought this couple. They said, Here, here's a so-and-so. And uh, they were addicts. And uh, something happened in their life, and they started coming to church, and we started hearing about it, but on top of coming to church, they do this picnic after church every Sunday, where we go to their house, and we talk about church, and we talk about the Lord, and we eat together, and they started inviting people, and so we came a few months ago, or a month or whatever ago, because of them, and then because the Lord started changing us, we invited these people, who I also thought were there because of my preaching, and they not once said that, and then the God even humbled me more, because then I started realizing nobody was there for me at all, and it was a, it was a moment where I fully embraced that because I looked out one Sunday and I was preaching and some of the people who were there that were coming you know just at the very beginning time they were in the front row sleeping during my message and I quickly realized this is not the most important thing I do if this is the most important thing I do I'm in trouble the most significant thing that you do with your life does not happen in church but please please hear me this because we missed this you mean people, you think about how religiously stupid that we can be. 
Like we come in, we like brag about our accomplishments in church, and then we leave, and it's like, okay, well, how was your life this week? What impact did you have? You heard an amazing message. How did it transform the way you served your community? How did it impact that conversation that you typically have in Monday morning when you go into work and you complain about your boss because he made you come to work at 8.30? How did it change? Like, I probably should stop complaining because the Bible says that I should do everything as if I'm doing it for the Lord and not man. And I heard that sermon on Sunday. I should change. How did it change the way you serve or see or sacrifice? What did it do in your life? You need to understand that the most significant moments of your life do not happen when everyone is watching you in church. In fact, I, I put in my notes, we mistakenly think the world is impressed with us by how we preach and come to church and all the things we do. But the truth is the world is impacted by how you handle your normal everyday life. In fact, I love 1 Peter 2. It says, it says, live such good life amongst the pagans. Now that's, that word sounds a little bit judgmental. That just means people that don't know Christ. Live such good, good, good lives outside did you notice what it doesn't say it doesn't say make sure you're impressive in church you know, make sure when you raise your hands you don't half raise them go you know fool it's good you know what i'm talking about make sure people see you in church make sure they see you serve make sure you iron your security shirt today so everybody can see that you're serving make sure that you're impressive whenever all the lights are on what does it say no no live such good lives amongst the outsiders that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify god on the day that he visits let me just give you a few more thoughts number two is your witness is not something you present it's a message you share through the lifestyle that you practice so i want you to understand this because we're going to break this down over the next few weeks because here's the problem with so many of us i don't know about you but but arguing with people about the lord is ineffective anybody else notice that anybody ever win someone to jesus by yelling at them one person is like you know what you're right you know how i know it doesn't work because it doesn't work with my kids i've tried to yell the sin out of them for 14 years and there's not one time that my oldest son's like i'm so sorry dad when i'm yelling at him you're right i'm gonna change he just looks at me you know what i'm talking about teenager you're like you're not listening to me it doesn't work, but we do this all the time. Like, I got to get my speech. I got to memorize my Bible. Here's the thing about quoting the Bible. Do you know if you're not a Christian that you could care less what the Bible says? Do you know? Do you, of the Word of God. They're like, who's that? Do you know most of you are the only Bible anybody will ever read? So the problem for most of us is we think the way we win people is through practicing our knowledge or sharing what we know or, you know, writing down our testimony and our story. But I want to establish something in your life that it's the message that you share through the lifestyle that you practice, right? That's why Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season and out. In other words, what is he saying? Don't just get ready when you got to prepare a message on Sunday morning, but make sure you're ready in your normal everyday life. Make sure you can share it, not only with what you know, but within the lifestyle that you practice. It's all about what you practice. I know Isla and Iverson said it's practice, but I'm telling you, it's all about what you do in your everyday normal life. Number three, number three is this, is most Christians then, here's what you need to remember, and this is what's so sad, and Laurel, you can come play me out. Most Christians lose their credibility of their witness without even realizing it. I don't know if you've ever wondered this. I have. How, how do we have in our lives the one thing that can change 
somebody's life forever and live such an ineffective life so many times. You ever wonder that? Like, how do we have the hope of the world in us and yet go through our, our life? And if you ask most church people, hey, you know, what, what, what impact did you have this week? What, did anybody bring anybody to church to you this week? You no, know, I'm a really busy week. I had sports and, you know, made dinner and, you know, yoga and, uh, you, you know, overwhelmed studying for my doctorate and this and all these other things. And we're super busy. And our, our life is literally, it's like just kind of passes us by. And there's no fruit from our faith. It's just, it's just there. We're just Christians. And then what happens with so many Christians when there's no fruit with their faith, eventually it withers up and they just leave because they're like, what's the point of this? You come every week. You hear the same stories. How many kids do you think I have? Bible, Bible stories are the same. You know, it's not like, it's not like everything's changed. Like, it's just, you know, it's just not fulfilling. I got to go to a different church because I'm not getting fed. And it, the problem is, it's not that you're not getting fed. It's that you've eaten so much that you, you literally need, you, you, you need to lose some spiritual baggage weight so you can move in your life. That's the nicest way I can say it. You're spiritually overweight obese you don't you don't move like you get it and you just you just stop and I just think to myself why, why? and many of us don't understand it but the real reason is it's not because Jesus isn't real it's not because he can't change people it's not because uh, uh, he can't heal and set free the Bible says that the harvest is plentiful what does it say the workers are few that problem has been a problem forever in other words, we lose our credibility and no one wants to listen to us and we don't even understand it. And the reason we lose our credibility is we go out and our lives are not any, any different. Think about it. Uh, there's a million pizza shops in, in Pennsylvania. You guys know that? And uh, most of them are successful. Some of them aren't very good, but most of them are successful. Could you imagine if a pizza guy started a pizza shop and he was like, you know what? You just can't make it in the Northeast. And you'd be like, well, there's, a, there's you know, Palumbo's and Argeno's and you know Alfredo's I'm naming ones I used to eat out when I was a kid and Domino's and P P Pizza Hut was there and Pizza Hut and all these things and you can't make it yeah it's just a problem I'm gonna say yeah the problem is your pizza's garbage your pizza's garbage that's why it's not it's not it's not it's not the pizza is not the problem it's your it's your product and that's what I would like we if you're not reaching people for Christ the the 360 evaluation is not hey what's wrong with the world they just don't want Jesus let me ask you something. Is the world still struggling with addiction? Are kids still increasingly being overwhelmed with anxiety and fear? Young kids. Yes. Are marriages still falling apart? <laughs> yeah. Is Jesus the only person that can change those? Jesus is not the problem. It's you and me. The need is still there. Most of us lose our credibility without even knowing it. And I just thought, how do you keep credibility? Well, the fourth thing I had with, with this is, is just a really simple thought. The most trusted witnesses, then you need to understand, uh, people for Christ, they've gone through things where they've been worked. And he, here's what I mean. Uh, sometimes you wonder, like, okay, okay I got saved. Why, is, why am I going through stuff? Why am I suffering? Why am I hurting? Why is this happening? Why am I going through that? Why, 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 right? And the, the truth is, God's allowing you to go through those things so that your witness can be powerful for him. Like, I, I started thinking about this. We, we had a staff, staff meeting, and all of our staff, you know, over the last two months, have done staff devotions before, uh, before our meetings. And so uh, our newest staff member, Elise, it was her turn this week, and so she did a on Monday, she did a, she did a, a staff devo on suffering. 
felt, felt very fitting for Monday morning, right? And so, and she did it, and it was, it was, I was proud. I was like, this is really good. Like, it was, this is like, she talked about the power of suffering and the significance of it and what she's learned through it and how God wants to use it. And I just thought to myself as I looked at her life, because I haven't known Elise super long, and she came kind of as a temporary employee that last summer, and then she was so good, I was like, you, you should stay. Drop out of school, right? And so stay here, and she did. And, uh, and now she's gone from doing preschool to teaching on Sunday mornings. So if you drop your kids off in the 6 to 12-year room, she's going to teach your kids, and she's, she's amazing at it. Like, she's, she's gifted, talented. She has, like, it's like, it's like she was made to do it. But then I started thinking, all the things she went through that she talked about in that, in that, that devotion, the moments in her life, have prepared her to, for God to work through her life in this season. And this is what happens. Like, this is why suffering well. And this is why going through things at work. Like, sometimes you go through things at work and don't you think to yourself, God, why don't you take me out of this? Because God is forging you through fire to use you in that situation. God, God, why don't you make my life easier? God, why don't you separate me from this bully at my school? God, why don't this happen? Because God is doing things in your life so he can use your life, so he can work through your life, so you can say, hey, I've gone through this before. I see you struggling with this in your life. And God brought me through this. And if he brought me through this, he can bring you through this. And I, I, I just, as I started thinking about this message, I, I, like, I, it's, it's, not, it's not lost on me that we're opening up these seats. Like, I don't... You saw these seats, if you're sitting in them, you know, only half, a couple seats, are, our rows are open because there's no lights and we don't want you to die walking up there. And so, uh, but during this process, first took down the wall, I looked at it, I went, wow, this is awesome. And then they put the seats in and I was like, wow, that's a lot more seats. And then this week I was in and I was like, oh crap, what if nobody comes to church? And then I stepped back and it just hit me. People? reaching people. Those seats represent people. But here's what, they're not going to come because we built a good auditorium. Oh, you should come see our really cool auditorium. It's black, you know. (laughs) Or you should come, you know, they're they're doing a sermon series on this, or they're having this event for this, and you should come to this stuff. That's not why people come to church. People reach people. We, We leave this place, and we go, oh, my gosh. There's areas of my life where I'm losing credibility for, for, my, for my witness. i got to change some things. There's conversations I need to have. There's apologies I need to make. Some of us, we just need to go to our workplace and say, my bad. I did not line up my life with what I actually believe. I'm not perfect. I live by the grace of God, but he's working and changing me, and I'm going to continue to get better as he increases in me, and I want you to see Jesus in me. This is a, that, that's repentance right there. That's hum- humility. That speaks volumes to people. Some of you need to change the way you drive or change how you act when you go to Some of you need to change how you act when you go to a restaurant. Make eye contact with your waiter. Put your phone down. You, can I just give you a word to use? It's a really powerful Christian word. Jesus made it up. Thank you. It's in there somewhere, I promise. I'm just, I'm just gonna change my life. And here, here's why. Because I don't know about you. I want my life to matter at the end. Anybody else? I want moments. I want to look back and go, man, God used my life in that neighborhood to reach that family. He put me there for a reason, not just because I like the house. What a lame, lame reason to move there. 
but he put me in this situation and my family had an impact on this person's family and they came to church and I remember we got to baptize them and now we walked through life together or I've been at this workplace and man I, I planted seeds for years and I began to watch them come to come to you know begin to grow in people's lives and all I, I want my life to matter and, and my, my prayer for you is I want yours to matter too but it's not going to be significant if you don't get this part right so let me ask you one more time when you leave this place today I'm not asking you about your friends I'm not asking you about your mom she's always going to say something nice about you what are they going to say what do your co-workers say about you what do the students in your classes your, your, your friends say about you what do the kids you don't talk to say about you what does your teacher say about you what is that waitress? What, 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 do they, what do they say when you walk away? Do they see Jesus? Do they see Jesus? Would you stand to your feet? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I want you to listen to this verse. I didn't have time to read it in my notes, but it's, it's, it's so important. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 is, is used often in weddings. Talk about love. And... Uh, it's a good use of it, but it's kind of flawed. And the reason is, Paul wrote it to the church to try to let them know, listen, you're, you're in Corinth, which is a city that needs to be saved. I mean, it's just, they are far from God, and you're there, but your church is not being real effective. And he, he's telling them, Here, here's why. He wants to describe, they're obsessed with what they do in church and their gifts and their talents and they're talking about who they listen to. Some of them listen to Paul, some of them listen to Apollos. They're one of the most shallow, dysfunctional churches in the New Testament. And so Paul reminds them of this, why they're on the earth. And he says in 1 Corinthians 13, I want you to listen to it with your eyes, because if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love. I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Some of you have kids and you've given them musical instruments for Christmas or their birthdays and you know exactly what that sounds like. Sounds annoying. Sounds like a mistake. The, the, he's saying you, you have all these things, but to the world you make no sense because you don't have love. He goes on to list some more things as if I have the gift of prophecy or I can preach or fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but I have little, and I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love. I gain nothing. And then he describes love, because love is what changes people's lives. Love's patient. Is that how they describe you? It's kind. It doesn't envy. It celebrates the success of other people. Never boasts. It's not proud. Oh, this is a good one. We're going to open this passage. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeps no records of wrongs, does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It protects, it trusts, it hopes, it perseveres. What does he let us know? That type of love never fails. The truth is if we're failing, it's because we don't have love. What do they say about you? In fact, I'll just ask a question to myself. What do they say about me? What are, when we leave, what impact do we have? This can't be it. <laughs> this can't be it. This room that God has given us is great. What a great resource and tool, but this cannot be it. We are people on mission to re reach people. 
So I want to pray as we close, every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here today, you don't know Christ. You're wondering about this whole thing. Can I, can I just take a moment to let you know this whole Jesus thing? The world's created, Genesis, beginning of the, beginning of the Bible, and people break it. We've never been good at being in control. We break it. And the Bible says that that sin that we brought into the world, it, it created distance between us and God. And what he could have done is kept a distance, wiped his hands of us. A lot of people know this. It's human nature. The Bible says that eternity was placed in the hearts of man. Like we, we know this. We know that we're more than just a body. You know this if you've ever seen somebody pass away, that when their body is there, it's no, their soul is gone. It's like they're not really there anymore. We, we know this, even without knowing Scripture. There's something greater. So knowing this, some people have come to the conclusion, I must get religious. Religion is, I'm going to do a list of things. I'm going to follow some rules. I'm going to speak right. I'm going to talk right. I'm going to learn. I'm going to get my kids signed up for this class. I'm going to become religious, and then maybe God will take me back. But the Bible says that your best is a filthy rag in the sight of a holy God. That even when God gave us the Ten Commandments, the law, he didn't give us the law so that we could follow it. He gave us the law to show us that we're broken and we need a Savior. And the answer was Jesus. Jesus came 2,000 years ago, the Bible says, and he, when he was 33, he died on a cross for our sins. He sacrificed, he shed his blood. That's the power of those words of that old song that we sang. Only Jesus. The Bible says on the third day, he rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he defeated both death and hell. So he forgives our sins and he promises us eternity if we receive him, the Bible says. If we would confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. And that's what we're about here. We're about Jesus, the gospel, the good news. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death and hell, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. For anyone who calls on him shall be saved. Anyone. You're not too bad. You're not too gone. You're not too broken. You're not too hopeless. You haven't made too many mistakes. You haven't had too many chances. If your heart is still beating, there's still a good God that desperately wants to have a relationship with you. But you have to decide. Jesus, I want a relationship with you. Jesus, come into my life. Heal me and make me whole. Maybe you're here today, and as I described that, you would say, that's me. I've lived my life apart from God, and I've tried everything, and it's not worked. I tried to become religious, and it just made me more angry, more frustrated, because I was constantly working. So today I know that I need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my life. I want a relationship with him. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. A prayer that changes everything else in your life. Jesus, come into my life, heal me, and make me whole. Something as simple as that. I want to ask you to do something as we get ready to close and go about our day. If that's you all over this place, nobody looking around. And I'm speaking to you. You may say, man, that's me. You're, you're literally talking to me. I don't even know how you are, but you're talking to me. And I can feel, I can feel something. It's like, it's like it's my, my chest is beating out. My heart's beating out of my chest. I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know that. Like something's changing in me right now. Today's my day. Today's my moment. 
today's my moment. If that's you all over this place, I want to pray with you as we close with nobody looking around. But a little bit of courage, a whole lot of faith. The Bible says that you need faith to follow Christ. I have faith. I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, you're speaking to me right now. I need Jesus to come into my life. I need him to heal me. I need him to make me whole. I need him to save me. I see a hand right here. I see another hand right here. Is there anybody else who would say, hey, pastor, that's me. That's me. I need Jesus to come into my life. Hey, church, would you begin to pray? Maybe if you place your hand up, you would just pray something like this, something simple. Jesus, I need you. I've tried everything else. I've tried to make my own way. I've tried to figure out my own life. I've tried to fix my own own problems. I've tried to better myself, and nothing's worked. So Jesus, today I'm going to be done running. I'm going to be done trying to be the own boss, my own boss in my own life. And so Jesus, today I give you everything that I am. Come into my heart, forgive me, heal me, set me free. Jesus, I thank you for love. I thank you for your grace that never runs out. I thank you for your mercy. Lord, I thank you for your healing touch right now. The Bible says that when I come to you, Jesus, that I become a brand new creation. A new day has come. The old is dead and gone. Lord, as we leave this place and we celebrate that, Lord, this can't be it. This can't be the end. This can't be where it stops. Lord, this can't be the loudest that we get, Lord. Lord, when we leave this place, that's when real life starts, Lord. We go back to work. We go out to eat. We go to restaurants. We go to grocery stores. We drive. We interact. We go to sports leagues. God, we're around people all the time that don't yet know you, and you've put us in those situations. So the Bible says that so we can be a light to the lost, that we can be salt in this world. And so, Lord, we take that serious. We are people on mission to reach people, Lord. Lord, you're going to work in us this today, and Lord, you're going to begin to work through our lives. And we thank you in advance. We pray over every seat that has been drilled into these bleachers right now, that they represent people that feel far from you, that don't know you, family members, co-workers, uh, co-students, Lord, everybody that we were around, uh, people on our team, Lord. Lord, these seats represent their opportunity to know you, to serve you, to be in community with you, Lord. And we're thankful for all that you're going to do in this room over the next few years, Lord. Thank you for all you're going to do in our life over the next few days. In Jesus' name we pray. One more time. Would you shout amen with me? Would you clap your hands? Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.